Um, well, good morning, Shine Church. I'm excited to get to be here this morning and to share with you what the Lord has put on my heart. Like they said, I'm Lauren Stone. I'm just a member of the church, um, but it's a pleasure to, to be here. We're going to open again in prayer because um, we want the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. Um, Father God, we thank you that you um, delight in revealing yourself to us. God, I thank you that you love speaking to your children through your word and through, through me. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that your presence would be here to open our eyes so that we could see more clearly who you are and what you've given us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that you're here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are beginning a new sermon series today, and it is called The Light Has Come. And at Christmas time, it's a truth that we celebrate and we remember Jesus, the light of the world, has stepped down into our darkness so that he can reconcile us to the Father and bring us into his light. When John the Baptist is born, Zechariah, his father, who is a priest, will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And he says to John the Baptist, you, my son, will go ahead of the Holy Spirit to... Um, we'll go ahead of the Holy One, the Most High, um, to make known the salvation that he's bringing. He's, he's a witness to this salvation. And he says, because by God's tender mercy, the rising sun is going to shine on us from heaven to shine on a people that live in a land of darkness and under the shadow of death. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time, that Jesus, the rising sun, shines on us. But it's not just the theme of Christmas time. It is really the primary theme of like the entire biblical narrative from the very first words of scripture to the very last chapters. And so I want to read to you Genesis chapter 1. In verse 2 it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And I propose to you that though there are some 35 authors or so to this book, and it was written over the course of 1,500 years, that it is a really fantastic work of literature and that it has a thesis statement. And that that thesis statement is, there is darkness over the surface of the earth, and yet God says, let there be light. And we know in the creative story that Adam and Eve are created um, to walk in, in that light, to walk in the light of the presence of God and in community with him. But they rebel against God and they sin. And from that moment on, darkness enters into the human experience. Because sin is like a blindfold over our eyes that, that keeps us from seeing the light of the goodness of the glory of God. And darkness enters into the human experience. It is, it is familiar to all of us. We've all experienced that darkness. It is this familiar heaviness that we feel living in a sinful world. It is separation from the light and the goodness of God. It is the birthright of the human race. We've all been born into it long before you ever did anything naughty. You experienced the heaviness of, of life in a fallen world. Unless we forget that it's so dark, we can just turn on the news and we will be reminded. I did that this week and I thought, oh gosh, it really is just terrible. Sometimes I forget. 
So from the moment that darkness enters into the human experience, the theme of the Old Testament will be, I will not leave you here. I will come for you. I will shine on you. I will rescue you from the darkness that you have chosen instead of walking with me. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you. And so in Isaiah 9, among other places, um, actually the last verse in chapter 8, it says, they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. I think that's such a great description of darkness, this fearful gloom, this heaviness that we live under. And then in chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is written 700 years before Christ is born. But this is what Zechariah is quoting when he prophesies. He's a priest. He's memorized the prophets. And he knows that he's declaring the Messiah is coming to us. To shine on those who live in darkness and under the shadow of death. We go to verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Darkness is a kingdom. And we were born under it, but there is a new king, and his name is Jesus. And when he comes, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He brings peace where before there was nothing but chaos. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then in the first chapter of John, he's going to say, look, the light has come. He's come. He's here. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is God's revelation to us. It's the way that God has communicated and revealed himself to us, and so he personifies him as the Word of God. In verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, it didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, the name of Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. In verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, his radiance, his light. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And then Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Instead, they will have the light of life. And after he dies and the Holy Spirit comes and it fills us, it dwells inside of us, he says, you are the light of the world. I've sent my spirit into you so that you can be a light in a dark place. In Matthew, it'll say, um, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In Philippians 2, the word will say that in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, you shine like stars as you hold out the word of life. 
1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we are a royal priesthood. We have access to the Father, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. And then in Revelation chapter 21, one of the last passages in scripture, almost at the end, we see that darkness has been completely done away with and there is a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And this is what it says. It says that um, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb of God will be its lamp and the nations will walk by its light. The story begins with utter darkness, and it ends with utter light, and we live somewhere in the middle. We live in a dark world where the scriptures will say that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Sin still exists. Heaviness still exists. Darkness is here. It's everywhere. But, but we have been given access to the light of God. The light is here, too. And when God communicates himself to us in scripture, I think God knows that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around spiritual truths. It's just difficult because we're still humans. We're flesh and blood. And so he communicates himself through scripture in um, parables and stories and pictures because it helps us to wrap our human minds around these spiritual truths, right? And the light and the darkness is, is one of these pictures that he gives us. It's a very real spiritual reality that he is light, but he speaks to us in these human terms so that we can understand what that means. And so I wanted to ask you guys a question today, and we'll pass the microphones around, but I wanted to ask this question. What are some attributes of physical darkness that can help us understand what spiritual darkness is like? And what are some attributes of light that can help us understand what God has done in bringing us from darkness to light? So what are some physical attributes of darkness that help us understand? And what are some physical attributes of light? Yeah. One of the physical attributes of darkness is depression. Yeah. The opposite of that is joy and peace. Yeah. That's good. One of the physical attributes of darkness, uh, the Lord puts this on my heart and just dropped it again. In Genesis at the beginning when it says, and there was before he created and said, there's, it was void. Mm -hmm. The earth was void and darkness covered everything. Many of you know, I travel a lot, but when you drive through an area and you just come into an area where you feel like a deadness, like a mm -hmm. void, mm -hmm. where it just seems empty. Yeah. That is one of the physical attributes of darkness. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Emptiness. I think a physical attribute of darkness could be death. Death, sorry. Mm -hmm. And I also feel a physical attribute of the light is our children of God. We mm -hmm. see them, we see the light in them every day. That mm -hmm. just reminds us. Yeah, I love it. Just the joy of kids. The like, yeah, that's good. 
Uh, we just went through First John as a church, and I was thinking in chapter 2, we found it here in verse 11, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Mm-hmm. So an attribute of darkness is just not knowing where you're going, stumbling over things that you didn't see were there mm-hmm. uh, versus the light where you can clearly see. You, yeah. you know where you're going. Yeah. Darkness, it changes our perception of reality. We can't see what's really there. I think one of the, uh, where I see darkness sometimes in the political arena where might makes right. Mm, mm-hmm. I think the opposite of that is everyone is important, everyone mm. is valued, and everyone is honored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about a, a cave tour. Yeah. You know, you yeah. go to Cave of the Winds or you go wherever, and they always find a spot where they turn the lights off. And I freeze. Yes. I just don't even move. Like, I'm afraid to, like, I'm going to trip on something. Or, I don't so even know to where my me, face so it's, yeah. So to me, it's like darkness freezes. Yeah, that's so good. But it's only, it only takes a little light, just a little, I mean, just a match. Yeah. To, yeah. to bring a little uh, comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so good. That's so good. Um, I think that's so true. And one of the attributes of light that is so remarkable. Oh, one more. Go for it. Sorry. Um, I think that a physical evidence of darkness would be drug and alcohol addictions. Yes. And the opposite of that would be freedom of those things. Amen. Yeah, that's good. All right, and then I got one from online or through the text. It says, darkness is heaviness Mm -hmm. and light is lightness or weightlessness. I like that. I like that. You really do think about, (laughs) Sadie, my daughter, she has like a beach playlist, and it really is just the happy songs right? Like we think of like the brightness and we, this is like, this is happy, right? And darkness is like the sad, mellow, like I just want to stay in my bed and pull my sheets over my head, sort of, sort of feeling. But um, anyway, one of the attributes of light that I think is wonderful when we come to talk about um, God being light is that light is never intimidated by the darkness. Light is never chased off by the darkness. In fact, darkness never like goes into a place where there's light. As soon as the lights come on, like darkness becomes irrelevant. It's just not there anymore because you can see, right? And so when we have the light of the glory of God shining on us, um, the darkness just, it, it's lifted, it's gone. It's not there anymore. Um, a few years ago, Uh, Justin and I had the privilege of traveling to Israel with the church that we used to attend before we moved to Colorado. And while we were there, we visited the Garden of Gethsemane. And most of you know the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. It was an olive grove across the Kedron Valley from the old Jerusalem. You can see the temple mount from, from that garden. And Jesus would go there often with his disciples to pray. And on the night that he was betrayed, he went there with his disciples um, to pray. And, and so he tells his disciples while he's in that place, um, I am overwhelmed with grief to the point of death. 
stay here and pray for me. And then going on further into the garden, he falls on his face before the Father and he says, God, anything is possible for you. If it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me, this cup of suffering, of crucifixion? But yet not as I will, but as you will be done. And then the different gospels use a number of different words to describe what happens in that garden, but they say things like his soul is in anguish, that he is deeply troubled and sorrowful, that his sweat becomes like drops of blood falling to the ground, that so um, overwhelming is the physical weight of the grief that he's dealing with that he is literally sweating blood. And, And doctors will say that that's like something that can actually happen an extreme travail. And so I was reading this passage while we were in the Garden of Eden, and, um, and, and I just, like, here's the thing. I was kind of troubled by it because um, a lot of martyrs have faced their deaths with courage and even joy. And Jesus is the Son of God. He is, like, fully God And he just told his disciples like three hours earlier, I'm returning to the Father. I'm going back to the Father. So so death doesn't seem to be something that would be really intimidated to him. And yet he is overwhelmed with grief to the point of death. And so there in the garden on my knees where Jesus had prayed these prayers, I just said, Jesus, what do you want me to know about this that I don't know? Because I don't understand. I just don't know what happened here. And because God likes to talk to us in pictures, he gave me a vision that, um, that really just changed everything about how I understood him. And he passed before my mind's eye all these faces, faces of people that had lived um, in like every generation and culture. And as I saw their faces, I saw their stories. And there were stories of oppression and violence, of addiction, of fear, such fear of famine, of loss. And in the midst of their darkness, they had no relief. They had no hope. And Jesus said to me, it says it in Isaiah 53, but I heard just the voice of God in my spirit say, surely I carried your griefs and I bore your sorrows. You see, until that moment, Jesus had never taken on the weight of darkness. He is God. In him, there is no darkness at all. And he never ceased to be God when he came to this earth. He stepped down into our darkness. He saw our darkness. He saw the weight of it, but he never carried it. Not until that moment. But in that moment, he identified with the weight of the world that we carry in the most profound way. And I want to tell you that if you have walked through grief and fear and pain, Jesus took it on. He doesn't sit at a distance from you and judge you and say, you need to get your stuff together. He he sweat blood in the garden and he said, I've carried this weight and it's too much for you. And I don't want you to live under it anymore. He asked the Lord, if if it's possible, can you just take this away from me? Can we do this a different way? And I think what the Lord did, what the Father did, is he said, no, I want you to feel the weight that they live under. So that you can resolve to endure what you have to endure for the next 24 hours. The mocking and the flogging and the beating and, and the crucifixion. At no point during that did Jesus cease to be God. At no point during his suffering did he not have the authority to make it stop. 
He says in, in the Gospels, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And he endured it because he wanted to give you something other than the heaviness that's in this world. That's the gospel. And until that moment, for whatever reason, I, I had great teaching. I grew up in the presence of God. I really did. Um, he is so kind and he's so good. And, um, and yet, something about the way that I grew up, I had this idea that really the bottom line of the gospel was that God came to make us better people. And when I didn't feel like a better person, I didn't feel like I could really come before the presence of God. Because I felt like I was kind of failing, like the whole point, you know? And in that moment, I just felt the grief in the heart of the Father when we stay at a distance from him because we have sin and heaviness in our lives. Like literally, Jesus is there sweating blood because he doesn't want us to have that heaviness, and yet when we have that heaviness, we run away from him. It doesn't make any sense. The very thing in your life that you think disqualifies you from coming into the presence of God is the reason that he died for you. It's the reason he came for you. It, it is the qualifying factor of coming before him into his presence. Don't come before him when you feel strong. If come before him when you are weak, when you are at your lowest point. That's the point of the gospel. He didn't die to make us better people. Like, whoo, I always wanted to be better than everyone else. Yes. I think there's a whole generation of young people that are leaving the church because that's the gospel that's been preached to them in one way or another. You should behave. And the thing is, they don't want to behave because they're feeling the weight of the world just like you do and just like I do, and they're looking for something to alleviate it. And the bottom line is, in this world, apart from Christ, sin is the only way. Because for a brief moment, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And for a brief moment, sin feels good until it enslaves us, then it's not as good. I need to look at my notes. <laughs> One of the most precious things to behold is when someone experiences that, um, ooh, thank you, that weight, for the, that light for the first time. I don't remember the first time I experienced the presence of God. I really did grow up with it. And I'm so thankful for that. But I remember a mission trip um, when I was in college. I, sent, I spent some time in Spain, and there was a guy who was there. Um, he was a good Catholic and an atheist. Um, but he had grown up in the Catholic tradition, and, and he loved his tradition, but he didn't believe in God. And um, each week, the group of us that was there would meet together. There were maybe 10 or 12 of us, and we would sit in a circle, and we would play our worship music. And, and I mean, we would just, like, someone's strumming on guitar, and we're singing songs. And, I mean, kind of cheesy, but it was good. It was good worship, you know? It was good. And one day, this friend, he was a roommate with one of the guys who was on our trip. He came to our little worship meeting. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so weird. It's going to be weird. It's probably going to be weird. And he was kind of cute, so, like, I didn't want him to feel too weird. And... Um, <laughs> Just like, whatever, it's fine. Um, and so, anyway, um, no, I was dating you. I just, I still cared what people thought. <laughs> you care what people think when you're like 19, you know, you do. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> um, anyway, so we're leaving this prayer, this worship time, and I was like, hey, what did you think? Like, how was that? And, um, and he was like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. That was incredible. It was like the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. And I was like, really? What, what, how, why, how, what was it like? And he was like, he, he struggled to find words. And he said, it was like, 
It was like Christmas morning when your whole family is together and everything is right. He had never felt the presence of God. And when he did, he was like, I don't know, I can't pinpoint it. It's like the best moments in your life. When you feel safe and secure and like you belong and it's good. That's what it's like. Gosh, I've known that my whole life. We lived in China for a little bit and there was a woman who came to work in our home and... um, I love her with my whole heart. Um, She had been at our house for a little while. She spoke no English when she came to us. We spoke no Chinese, so we we didn't get a lot of opportunity to communicate early on. And um, I would come to know later that she was the fifth of five children. She was born in a rural, very, very poor village um, in central China. And she, um, on the day she was born, her mother wanted to drown her because they couldn't afford to have another daughter. And so her aunt saved her for a few days until her mother changed her mind. But her whole life, she was a weight on the family. If her father didn't have enough food to eat when he came in from working in the fields, he would eat her food. She had to wait until he was full to eat food. She had grown up in darkness. She had grown up unwanted and unloved. Not only did she feel the weight of the world, but she felt like the weight of the world because she was a burden to the people who she wanted to be loved by. She came to work in our home, and we had been there a couple of months, and some friends of ours who are missionaries in China and spoke beautiful Chinese came to stay at our home, and they asked her, hey, how do you like working in their home? And she said, oh, my gosh, I love being here. I love it. I, I can't describe it. I just have never felt peace like this in my life, like I feel when I'm in their home. Oh, man, y'all, it was the most tumultuous season of my entire life, like massive culture shock. I was raising two little toddlers and we had moved um, not to like somewhere pretty like Europe. Yay. It was, it was China. You know, it was different. And I was so overwhelmed. But meanwhile, she is experiencing peace for the very first time. She's never experienced peace like this. I have another friend who is a Muslim background believer, and um, she has endured incredible persecution because of Jesus. She's been kidnapped. She's had her throat slit. She's been tortured um, in prison, those sorts of things, incredible persecution. And she told me once, Lauren, I just don't like, I don't understand how God reveals himself to you because to me, like the most powerful moments in my life were when I was being tortured. Like I've never felt the power of God and the presence of God and the goodness of God like I, I felt in those moments. I don't, I don't really know how I would know him without that experience. The presence of God is, it is peace in the midst of chaos. It is hope in the midst of despair. It is strength in the midst of weakness. It is joy in the midst of just stuff that is not awesome. It is good, and I wonder, we're going to pass the microphones around one more time. My question is for you is, do you have an experience like that, a moment in your life where maybe for the first time you experienced the goodness and the kindness of God, or someone close to you did, or maybe a dark moment where you felt his presence in a way that, like, man, you can't even, like, describe it for someone. It's just so good. Does anyone have a a brief story that they could share, a testimony of, of what it's like to walk in the light of God's presence? I know we have like a lot of them, but you got this. Many years ago in 2010, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And when the doctor told me a miracle happened, 
peace and joy bubbled up inside of me, and mm. God told me I'm going to do something great here. Mm. He did. I it, my probably was stage four. They did 18 biopsies. All of them came back negative. Wow. And they said they found me at stage one. My mass was the size of a baseball. Wow. Amen. Woo. That's good. Okay, it's, I'll be brief, but it's a long story. <laughs> so uh, I had a real... I was going to meet her for the first time, uh, a three-hour trip on a motorcycle. <laughs> a lady pulled out in front of me from a stop sign. I'm on a four-lane highway, and I T-boned her. And I broke 11 ribs, crushed my sternum, punctured my lung in two places, messed my hips up. My face hit the A-post of the, of the truck, right? Uh, first time in my life I'd ever wore a full-face helmet. And before I got on the, I got on the bike, started it up and put a half helmet on. And something said, go put that helmet on. So mm -hmm. I went up there. So I'm laying on the ground. I can't breathe. I can't exhale. My mm -hmm. chest is full. And I'm thinking, I was in the Marine Corps, and I'm, uh, this drill instructor was hollering at me, regulate your breathing, regulate your breathing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, all of a sudden, Jesus Christ put his hand on my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And he said, just calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I felt this, his spirit, his go through from his hand across my chest the air come out of my lungs uh, I started talking the lady was praying with me holding my hand I started talking to him the lady that had hit me had took off running down the road mm -hmm. she went ah you know I hit him so she, she had come back and she's like shaking freaking out when this happens she's standing at my feet and this power goes through me and I watch it go up her body and wow. relax. She relaxes as it comes from me and goes up her, her body just wow. relaxes. And she looks at me and says, oh, my God. And I said, hey, God's here. Everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And and she says, I got to go check on my kids. And, and, yeah, that's the power. Yeah, that's the power of God. Amen. <laughs> Good job. It was worth it. <laughs> Anyone else? All right. Well, one of the things about that moment in the garden is, um, even as a, a follower of Jesus my entire life, um, the darkness, the heaviness that I felt, it was familiar to me. And my guess is it's familiar to you as well. Because as a child of God, it is possible to walk in the light, but it is also possible to live at a distance from him and to continue in the darkness in different areas of our life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, says, For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. If we want to live as children of the light, it's an imperative statement. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be on purpose. We're going to have to choose in the midst of the crazy world with all of our busyness and all of our responsibilities and all of the heaviness to come into the presence of God and to receive from him the life that he has for us. It's going to be intentional. 
verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. The light, the fruit of the light is not external. There are often, the Lord does miracles. He does, but the fruit of the light is primarily internal. The fruit of the light is goodness and righteousness and truth, not health and wealth and life is easy, right? In fact, in every single book in the New Testament, it will talk about um, hardships, trials, difficulties, sufferings, persecutions. Um, Jesus himself will tell his disciples, you're going to have a lot of bad stuff happen in life, but I've overcome it. I've risen above it. I shine on you in the midst of it. The light is not merely emotional. And I think this is a really important point because sometimes you will have the grace to feel the emotional presence of God and it is such a gift. But you will not always be in a place, just even like hormonally or circumstantially, where you have the grace to experience his presence and his light as an emotion. And so in those moments, you will have to come to him and experience it by faith. Faith is the, it's the evidence of things not seen, right? And we will have to come by to him by faith and we will have to say, I cannot feel you here. All I feel is the weight of my sin and my darkness and my fear. But your word says that if I draw near to you, you will draw near to me. Your word says that if I cry out to you, you will answer me. Your word says that nothing can separate me from your love that you never leave me and you never forsake me. You are not far off. You are as close as my own spirit because you've placed your Holy Spirit inside of me and I believe that you are here with me and I will cry out to you when I cannot feel it. And sometimes you might need some people in your life that will cry out to him with you. You might need to play some worship music that changes the atmosphere in that space. You might need to get in this word and just read it until your eyes can't see anymore. And you start to renew your mind and believe that what he says is more true than what you're looking at. If you want to walk in the light, it's going to be intentional and will not always be emotional. And finally, the only cure for darkness is light. It's the only way that that, that darkness goes away, that heaviness in our life goes away. So... um, Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. I like what um, Mark shared, that we're paralyzed in the darkness. It's fruitless. We don't get anything done, really, like in terms of living with purpose and hope. Um, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look, we do not wake up as believers wanting to be an alcoholic or an addict. We don't do that. We're not like, oh, it worked so well for my dad, and I just really hope that when I grow up, I too can be an alcoholic like he was. That's, you know, no one does that. It's not how people live. I don't want to be like a slave to this substance. Instead, they wake up and they feel the weight of the world And instead of coming into the presence of God and saying, man, I feel the weight of the world. So that he can shine on them and refresh their soul. They find something else that satisfies them for a minute. 
And for a minute, it does feel better. The weight of the world seems to lift. And so they go back to it again and again and again. And little by little, they give themselves over to become slaves of something that they never wanted to be a slave of. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, but make no mistake, John 10 tells us he has come to kill from you, to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy you. He offers you something that you think will solve the problem for a brief minute, and really, he just wants your end. He wants you to die in darkness apart from the presence of God and be afraid to come to him with the weight that you're bearing. We don't wake up in the morning saying, I really want the type of marriage where I am a bitter spouse, and both me and my husband are just angry with each other all the time. Um, We don't do that, but we wake up feeling the weight of the world, and the person that we're married to does nothing to make it better. They just, I mean, I don't even know, I don't even know if they try. I think they make it worse. And instead of bringing that into the presence of God and being like, hey, I'm kind of disappointed because he's not making me feel better right now or she's not making me feel better right now. So that the Lord can give us his perspective on our spouse so that we can see that person through his eyes and love them like he does. Little by little by little, we meditate on that offense and we become angrier and angrier and we turn into a bitter spouse because we thought that maybe holding on to that grudge would help us feel a little better, feel a little more in control of ourselves, right? But it didn't. It led us into darkness and sin and slavery to darkness. We don't wake up wanting to be stressed out and afraid all the time. Instead, we wake up and we feel the weight of the world and we think if we cross a few more things off of this to-do list, we will feel better. It will happen. It has not happened yet. No matter how much you get done, no matter how much money you make, no matter how much people respect you, the weight of the world still is there. It is not alleviated by all of your efforts and you've become a slave to this stress and this fear and this anger. And instead of walking in the light of God's presence and and coming to him and letting him say, I am in control, I've got this, you're mine. We give ourselves as slaves to this, the weight of this world. And we do that as believers. We do, but we don't have to. We don't have to. We can live in the light and the goodness of God. And in every moment that you identify, man, this is darkness. Just come to him with it. I have this, it's like a story. Um, when my, one of my kids was in first grade, there was a kid that was bullying them. And y'all, I like, you know, like something happens in the heart of a mama. And I hated this kid. It was not, I'm, I did not casually hate him. Like rage and hatred and anger filled my soul. Okay, and I was laying in bed at midnight meditating on how much I hate this child. That's what, that's what was happening. And so it occurred to me because of the Holy Spirit, this is not the life of God. That is a phrase that came through my mind. This is not the life of God. This is separate from the life of God. This is different than him. And so I got up. I don't know if it was because I couldn't sleep or because the Holy Spirit spoke to me, but I got up and I laid on my face on the floor in my living room and I said to the Lord... God, I hate a seven-year-old child. That's what I said. That's all I said. I didn't apologize for it because I was not sorry. Um, I just said it. I just brought it into the light of God's presence. And y'all, before the words could fully leave my lips, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, and he said, I will not allow this kid to steal the plans that I have for your child. 
And I will use the suffering that your kid is enduring to create him, to form him into the man that I'm, I'm calling him to be. And y'all, I kid you not, it was like a split second and the hatred lifted. It was gone. And I was filled with this peace and this stillness. That's what it's like when you bring something into the light. You don't even have to feel bad about it when you do it. But this is darkness. And I know it's, I'm just, I'm bringing it to you, Jesus. You can shine on it. And he does. He does it consistently. So this Christmas, we celebrate the fact that light has come. And what I challenge you to do is to celebrate the fact that light has come by living in it. Live as a child of it. Come into the presence of God. The Christmas story is that Jesus, the darling of heaven, who dwells in unapproachable light, Ezekiel sees a vision of the throne of God, and he says that when he, when he beholds God, that he, from the waist up, is like burning metal full of fire. And from the waist down, he is brilliant light. And that the radiance around him is like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. He can't even look at him. This is, and then he says, this is like the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. It's something like it. I can't really put words to it. He's radiant. And we know from scripture that day and night, angels never stop encircling his throne and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. We know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he dwells in this unapproachable light. And one day, Gabriel comes to earth. He announces to Mary, you're gonna give birth to the son of God. And that light of heaven becomes a seed in the womb of a woman. And the lamb of God who sits at the right hand of God is no longer there in heaven. The one whom the angels adore is hidden away. And then the time comes for him to be born and the angels, man, First Peter tells us that they long to look into these things. They are not all-knowing. They don't know the future. They don't see it before it happens, all right? They're just, they're not God. The scriptures tell us they have been waiting for this moment. They've, they've heard all the prophecies. They know that it's coming, and, and Jesus is born, the light of heaven, the one that has been the object of their worship for eternity past. He's born, but instead of being clothed in perfect light, he's clothed in the skin of a tiny baby, this is the climactic moment of all of history and nothing happens. No one worships. The greatest gift that could ever be given has been given and just nothing. And I don't know if God told the angels they could announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in the fields or if they were like, I have had it. They don't even know. And so in Luke chapter 2, we read, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David has been born to you Christ the Lord. The light has come. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, I think to my knowledge, it's the only time we see this, that we've seen this in scripture up to this point, right? Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appear like 
the choirs of heaven are like, someone's got to worship. They need to know and they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This Christmas when we celebrate the gift that has been given, let's celebrate it by receiving it. Let's not be like the people in the town of Bethlehem who did not see it. Let's not be like we were last week when we chose to walk in the darkness and and didn't bother to come into the light of God's presence. The gospel is that we don't have to live under the weight of this world anymore. And my question for you today is, is there something that you've been running to to alleviate the weight of this world and it hasn't been working for you? Is there something that you've hoped would help? But it's, I mean, it does, but like a second, and it doesn't. What is that thing? Maybe it's your entertainment choices. You know, Ephesians 5 says, don't even mention what the disobedient do in secret. And some of us pay a lot of money to watch it for hours a day. It's entertainment, I'm just saying. Sometimes the Lord is like, I want to give you light, but there's a whole lot of darkness that you might have to turn away from for you to experience the light of my presence. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of. That's not my business. That's between you and God. But when he convicts you, I promise you what he offers you is better than what he's asking for. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we know that you are good and we love you. You are so good. You're so good. Lord, I ask that this Christmas as we remember the sacrifice of Christ, as we remember the moment that light dawned on earth for the first time, that we would remember you by receiving the gift that you have given, by walking in in intimacy with you, our Father, and by doing it by faith if we don't feel it. Thank you for your kindness to us, God. Thank you. You are so good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.